0: came into the tunnel and realized in the darkness that, you know, unless I fell flat on my face, I was going to probably win the, the first Women's Olympic Marathon and then thought, are you capable of, of carrying the title that will come with winning this race?
1: We don't want what Julie did to turn this into a freak show. A
2: freak show. A freak show. Some people... I'm sure I had funny feelings about it. I know the men did. I didn't really care. It's
0: not, you know, about skin color and, you know, all these other socioeconomic differences. You want your team to win.
2: I'm Celine Yeager. I'm Sarah Gross. This is Nine Voices for Title IX, powered by Inside Tracker,
3: a podcast that tells the stories behind the law that changed everything. This is Nine. Nine,
2: Nine, 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 Nine,
0: Nine,
3: Nine, Nine. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Celine. I, was, I am so excited. I mean, I guess every week I come on and say, I'm so stoked. <laughs> so <I> just, It's <laughs> like, it's like Never Cry Wolf, but that's how, that's actually how excited I am about this whole series. So we're on the final episode of nine voices for title nine and I'm stoked about this week's episode because my co-host from the if we were writing podcast Sarah True who is a legend unto herself is has a very fun interview
2: she does it's very it's 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 charming in many ways because Mm -hmm. they um they spend the first part chit-chatting a little bit about their gardens (laughs) you know (laughs) about tomatoes and potatoes and I don't know like I can't remember all the vegetables but um but they're neighbors so it it added a layer of intimacy that I don't think you get otherwise and I think that uh made it special especially since you're talking to like the legendary Joan Benoit Samuelson right Mm -hmm. (laughs) who's you know the uh you know what an American marathon runner who was the first women's Olympic games marathon champion. You know, she won the gold medal in the 1984 summer Olympics not long after they decided, Hey, women can run that thing too. Like <laughs> right. she talks, you know, she talks about that. Like women couldn't do it before what 83 do the distance. Yeah. yeah. I think it, they couldn't do more than a mile.
3: If that- yeah. I, I, those, I I'm still shocked by those stats. I've known the stats for years, you know, that there was this gap between like, the 1930s and then like the 1980s where women couldn't run more than 800 and then 1,500. 1,500 was that? Yeah, it's not even a mile. Yeah, and exactly. And then they suddenly jumped to like having a marathon in the 1984 Olympics. And then they didn't- Because women were
2: just bushwhacking into it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we can do it. Because yeah, women enough women hid in the bushes like Bobby (laughs) Gibb and jumped out and ran. finally (laughs) they had to say, "Hey, wait a second, maybe women can do it." Um, And so yeah, and then they didn't like. I was I'm still struck every time that they didn't have a full track schedule for women until 1988. Like that's
2: That's so recent. Like
3: Jones, a a 65 year old woman telling the story of her lifetime. It it's it's kind of
2: mind blowing, and it's crazy that she. You know, she came out and then held that American record. I mean, she smashed it. She smashed any expectation of what women could do in the mm-hmm. marathon, like just annihilated it, right? Yeah. She ran it in uh 21 I think, but it, w- it was an American record in the marathon that stood for 18 years Yeah. until Dina Castor broke it.
3: Yeah. I, like Dina Castor's kind of like, that's my generation of yeah. athlete, <laughs> like our generation of athlete, I should say. Totally. Like That is you know, it's wild that she just kind of, um, that Joni was just that good without the support network for female athletes that we, even that we have now, and it's still now not as good as it can be. And I know it will be in future, but it, you know, it just to, just to train a little bit, you know, she said she liked (laughs) skiing more than running. (laughs) It's kind of like the talent to just show up and run that fast is, is
2: unreal. And clearly like, I mean, certainly put in the work and, and, put, mm-hmm. but a that a true natural born athlete as well. I mean, she, she ran the Boston marathon again in 2019, you know, and she ran it in 304. Yeah. And I, I can't do the math right away, but that is, she's 60 something. Right. I mean,
3: like I think she says she's 65.
2: Right. So in 2019, she, oh, been, I see yeah. 62. <laughs> Thank you. Something. <laughs>
3: Yeah, that's it's yeah. crazy. Um I think that stood out for me uh was how she, she go ahead that she continued to give props the whole way through the interview to the mm-hmm. women who went before her. You know, she even mentioned Bobby Gibb, who was on yep. one of our early episodes, um, as being one of the, the folks that like went out and made change, and that she had the opportunity to run in the Olympic Games because of these women who had said who had who had fought essentially she doesn't use the word fight but who had fought for equity
2: yeah yeah that that stood out to me and you know we were talking a bit offline before we started recording just also that you know that moment she was just like she just ran and ran and ran and realized that she had this opportunity to win the olympic marathon and just like Mm -hmm. that's that's such a, a thing that you can relate to as an athlete that sort of moment where you're like, hey. I think I can do this.
3: Yeah. It's such a, you know, it even struck me, like it struck me first as an athlete, because I have that experience of working. Like you work hard for like a decade, (laughs) you know, or Years. years and years and years. And then you suddenly at some point find yourself in a situation. You're like, if I keep going and doing the thing that I'm, that I've trained to do, I'm going to win. Yep. Right. Or I'm going to, you know, this goal that I have is going to be met or whatever. And, and it's like when she was describing that, Oh yeah, I forgot about that feeling. And she even says it, that it's a good example for life too. And I totally Mm -hmm. agree with that. It's like, you know, for myself right now, like building a business, the things that we're building with feisty menopause, everything, like we just keep going and going. And then at some point there's an opportunity and you have to recognize
2: it and you have to jump. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is, I think we should let people jump into this interview and hear totally. for themselves.
3: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Let's do that. But before we do, we, I just want to give a quick intro for Sarah, who oh, won her right. first. Yeah. yeah. She won her first Iron Man just this past weekend, although that will be, it will be a few weeks ago by the time this episode is aired. But Sarah herself you know, who's talking to Joan is a two-time Olympian. She was mm-hmm. fourth at the Olympic games in London in the triathlon. She has been fourth at the Ironman world championship. So she has, uh, you can, her athletic background and the way that they talk and the fact that they have history together is quite clear in the interview. It's, it's pretty great. Uh, so yeah, let's hear from our sponsors and then hear from Joni. Whether you run, ride, hike, or swim, you understand what it means to push harder, reach farther, and go the extra mile. This relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build endurance, boost energy, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. And when you connect Inside Tracker to your Fitbit or Garmin, you'll also unlock real time recovery pro tips. After you complete your workout, it's like having your own personal trainer and nutritionist in your pocket. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash feisty. That's insidetracker.com forward slash feisty. I have an awesome opportunity for all you badass female runners out there. This winter, check an item off your bucket list and race the Miami Marathon produced by Lifetime. On January 29, 2023, enjoy spectacular sights and sounds on a flat Boston qualifying course through some of the most famous spots in Miami. Choose between the marathon or half marathon distance. And for all the active mums out there, your little ones can enjoy a race of their own in the Lifetime Miami Kids Mile. Registration is now open and will be capped at 18,000 participants, so don't wait. Head over to themiamimarathon.com today to register.
2: Heisty Media's Title IX series is proudly partnered with Bella Rosa. Bella Rosa is a women-owned and operated cycling apparel company that creates mix and match cycling wear to make women feel comfortable, confident, and beautiful. Created by two avid women cyclists, they know the importance of high-performance biking shorts and jerseys that fit a woman's body. It doesn't work to shrink and pink men's gear and expect it to work for women. Bella Rosa believes cycling wear should be fun, comfortable, and visible. You want to be bright and to be bold and be seen. Velarosa's collections are designed to mix and match with coordinating kit pieces that allow women to get more mileage out of their cycling wardrobes. New for 2022, a completely redesigned cycling tank, reflective safety tabs on all of their tops, and more long-sleeve options for those chilly morning rides. You'll find tons of great reviews on their site from women who love Velarosa gear. Their five-star rated shorts prove that when women try them, they love the fit particularly the yoga waistband, power leg bands, and the super soft, all black, what stains, chamois. Whether you like to ride pavement, gravel, dirt, or your local trail system, cycling is about the community. Join the sisterhood of cyclists that is Velarosa today. Enter FEISTY15, that's all caps, F-E-I-S-T-Y, number 15, at checkout, and receive 15% off of order of full-priced cycling wear at velarosacycling.com today.
1: Okay. Thank you so much for tuning into Nine Voices Nine. Uh, We have a real treat as our guest is an absolute legend in the sport of running. She's an Olympic champion, trailblazer, gardener, and a good friend of my in-laws, Joni Benoit-Samuelson. Joni, thank you for joining us today.
0: Very my pleasure and honor.
1: I, I feel I feel a little bit of pressure because uh, you'll report down the street to uh, the the in-laws whether or not I do an adequate job so uh oh, not not pressure just because you know I, I look up to you as a, a trailblazer and running but because you know that personal connection so
0: keep me you'll keep me on my toes I know in this interview um now so I will And they will. And I'm looking, when you said gardener, I'm looking at my dirty and calloused hands and uh, I am going to run some rhubarb down to your in-laws at some point today.
1: How, how is the garden looking, looking right now?
0: Well, now it's getting some much needed rain, but I hope not too much rain all at once um, because it's been struggling, but it's green and growing. So that's a good sign. Yeah. We, we, we get, we're
1: getting hit pretty hard with some rain today. Um, Now. So, I would say you're, you're a fairly stereotypical Mainer. Is, is, that, is that an adequate description? But for, for listeners who may not know what the main, Mainer stereotype is, uh, how would you describe it?
0: Oh boy, um, from across the border, you're, you're asking a difficult question, um, meaning not the Canadian or Mexican border, but the New Hampshire border, live free or die, right? Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, uh, people ask me if I've lived here all my life and I say not yet. Um, it's an old Burton and I-ism, but, uh, you know, I've spent most of my growing, um, up years here and, and most of my life for that matter. But I think it's just the hard work ethic and the, um, the honesty and, uh, the compassion for others that makes, um, um maine, the community of people that it has been and continues to be for for years and years uh Maine became a state in eighteen twenty so that's a pretty long time right
1: yeah no a- absolutely um I also think probably the love the love of the ocean is is up there in the the being a mainer it, appreciation for potatoes lobster all that <laughs>
0: Good carbos, good protein. And, uh, you know, I usually schedule my day around the tides. I'm not a triathlete like you, but I do like to swim after I run or cycle. And uh, so that maybe does make me a triathlete. I don't know. Maybe I should try another try. I tried one when I was 50. Now I'm 65. So I guess it's time. But uh, no, truly the ocean means a lot to me and I can watch the tides come and go. And if I can jump in after a run or a bike, that's, that's the bonus.
1: Yeah. I love that. No, it's, it's interesting. Cause I, I met uh, an Olympic swimmer years ago and he said that once he retired, he had no interest in ever going into the pool, doing anything athletic ever again. Um, but it's clear that, you know, for you being an athlete is a lifelong endeavor what what keeps you still interested in getting out
0: there and running and being so active? I think it's just the passion for what it is that I've done for years and years and, and continue to do. Obviously, I've overcome some challenges, but it's it's in my blood, if you will. And um, there are always goals to set. And I do that through spelling and kept me, me uh, motivated. Um, keep going. But, um, you know, my life changed as you're probably covering now um, with motherhood that used to be scheduled my uh, day around my running. And now I schedule my running around my day. Um, and uh, well, that happened with children, uh, you know, and and I, I now then I went back to scheduling my day around my running after the kids grew up and, uh, now I'm sort of betwixt and between, uh, I try to make some time for, for running or cycling every day. And in the winter I add skiing to that, uh, equation and, uh, you know, people think I lift weights, uh, because I do have a strong upper body, but it's not from lifting weights. It's from either gardening or bringing wood into the house during the winter months or Nordic skiing. So, you know, I'm very holistic with my approach to everything. And I think that comes with living here in the state of Maine as well. Yeah, uh, definitely uh, function is, is functionality
1: of, of uh, being able to do everything you need to do to be uh, an independent person. And I think that's a pretty mainer trait. Now, I, I was really interested to, uh, to read that your, your first passion in sport was ski racing. And having grown up in Cape Elizabeth, which is, as you know, would be implied by, by the name, on the ocean, it's flat, not a lot of snow. How did, how
0: did you get into downhill ski racing growing up there? Well, my dad served in World War II as a member of the 10th Mountain Division, so he had a, a passion for for skiing, and as soon as we were able to walk, he he put us on skis, so that's how that developed, and, um, you know, he was telling us um, at early ages that if we wanted to ski, we had to carry our own skis, and that adage or that lesson has uh, stayed with me meaning that i only carry what i can carry um and if you can't carry whatever it is you need then forget about doing it so um you know when he was 80 he uh went out to reunion with his comrades in the 10th mountain division in colorado and he was uh bound and determined to do that one last time and the first day at lunch he said uh well, next year when I come, and I jokingly said, next year, dad, when you're 90, I'll come back with you. And sure enough, haha, I went back with him 10 years later, and he was still skiing at altitude at the age of 92. So I think we know where my genes, some of my genes came from. But, uh, you know, you've got to you've got to be responsible for yourself. You've got to carry your own gear. You've got to live with the ups and the downs and, uh, you know, they're going to be high points in sports and low points in sport and training. And, uh, you know, I just never lose sight of, of that. So skiing was what it was. And then I started to run as a form of rehab after I broke my leg ski racing as a sophomore in high school and didn't have to wait for the snow. Didn't have to travel to the mountains, didn't need a lot of expensive gear and, uh, so that's really where my career started and uh you know i i continue to ski both alpine and nordic to this day and that's all, all part of trying to live a balanced life where you balance mind body and spirit which i think is important for anybody whether they're an athlete or not but you've got to have that balance in your life if you want success and you want to achieve the goals that you set for yourself
1: well yeah and i i think those of us who live in places with real winter, uh, if you actually get out and enjoy the snow, the winters aren't as harsh. Um, it's it's nice to be outside and have those bluebird days. So I, I definitely respect that. Um, yeah, so I, I'm interested that you started off in, in Bowdoin College, a small liberal arts school in, in Maine and transitioned to uh, running at NC State. Now, what... What was, what was that, that
0: process for you? Well, um, you have to remember that when well, let me backtrack a little bit. When I was in high school, Title IX legislation uh, became law at the end of my first year. So there weren't a lot of sports available to me at that time, at least varsity sports. There was field hockey. So I played field hockey and then I warmed the bench and basketball and skied on the weekends and then um, ran as a member of a track club. And so it wasn't until my sophomore year when I couldn't compete because I was recovering from the broken leg that it was that track and field was recognized as a, a, a sport for girls in high school. And so I didn't really have chance to, a chance to make a name for myself in any sport. And there really weren't scholarships available at that time. So, my dad had gone to Bowden, and I have an older brother who went to Bowden, and I grew up at Bowden on alumni weekends and and I just loved the place. I also thought, well, maybe I want to pursue my skiing at that time and um you know, I looked at a couple of colleges that had ski teams, but I came back to Bowdoin and then I played field hockey there for my first two years because cross country wasn't an option, although there was a girl in my class from Virginia who ran with the boys on the team, but I decided I'd prefer to play field hockey. And then um, one, one weekend, my sophomore year, we had two back-to-back games In field hockey on a Friday afternoon and on a Saturday, and then on Sunday I found out there was a half marathon in Portland, Maine, which was only about a half hour from the Bowdoin campus and um, Bill Rogers was running and one of the best female runners in the country and certainly in New England at that time, um, she was running as well Charlotte lettuce who remains a really good friend today as Charlotte Richardson. So I wanted to see how I stacked up against Charlotte. And so I went down and and ran the half marathon and wound up winning the, the woman's race. And um, at the same time, I was running AAU cross country with Liberty athletic club out of Cambridge, mass field hockey coach. Wasn't too thrilled about that. Um, And then after that weekend, when I ran the half marathon, after the two back-to-back field hockey games, we had another game scheduled on Monday and I could barely move off the 50 yard line and back then you couldn't substitute uh, players except at halftime so she pulled me off the field at halftime and benched me never to play varsity field hockey again but I didn't want to quit so I played JV finished out the season we were probably two-thirds of the way through at that point and then that was the end of that season was the end of my field hockey career and that's when I decided to run you know full-time and uh, a lot of my results were posted um, you know at Online or not even online because online wasn't even a thing back then but some of the college coaches who were all of a sudden um, receiving title IX scholarships from their athletic directors for 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 girls and women uh, started to notice some of the some of the AAU results and and that's how I got to NC state from Bowdoin but um, it came down to NC State in Oregon, and I decided that Oregon was really far away, and it rained a lot out there, and I didn't want to become homesick, so I, I went to NC State and uh, was there for three semesters. I was only planning to be there for two semesters, but I contracted mono my second semester and uh, felt obligated to go back for a third semester um, because we had a chance of winning what was then the precursor to the a- NCAA, the AIAW. And so I went back for that third semester and we came in second, I think, to University of Colorado. And then I went back to Bowdoin to finish up.
1: Uh, In in part because Scott was still there or
0: (laughs) your your husband? (laughs) Well, yes, but he he was in my biology class. I robbed the cradle. I was a sophomore. He was a first year. And uh, really that relationship, I, I had an eye on him, yes, but that didn't really form until I came back from NC State, and yes, that was one of the reasons <laughs> I wanted to come back, but I also wanted to graduate with a Bowdoin degree. No, I, I completely
1: respect that. So, when, when you were in high school, obviously, the, the Title IX legislation passed, but was it around the time that you were in college that the impact on
0: sport was beginning to be felt? Oh, yes, most definitely. I mean, it was beginning to be felt in in high school because when I started out and and track and field was only a club the longest distance a a a girl could run was the 880 now the 800 meters and you know they just the state principals association or collectively the high school principals association national high school principals association if there is such a thing thought you know, the mile was just too far for girls. So it wasn't until, as I said, after I was coming back from my um, broken leg that they added the mile. And I remember I couldn't run in the state meet, but I went up to watch and a girl uh, from Bunkai in Maine, uh, all Maine schools, obviously, won the mile, the first uh, state. In high school girls mile and I was just in awe of what she did and um, her name is Brooke Merrow and we have remained really really close friends since that day and see a lot of each other um, or when we can she spends her time between Idaho and Maine so um, yeah those 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 memories are, are are deep and 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 lasting and you know if I hadn't been watching that race that day i don't know um you know if i would be here talking and i also don't know if i hadn't broken my leg if would be talking because i probably would have pursued ski racing and probably wouldn't have made it as far in that sport as i i have in running
1: yeah yeah no it's that's it's so fascinating because normally we think that legislation's passed and there's going to be uh you know, Sometime before the effects are going to be felt, because there's going to be lawsuits, and you know that different schools would have taken time to implement the changes. But it sounds like you know you you felt it pretty immediately. Those the effects of that that legislation. That's fascinating to me.
0: I was, you know, I I tell people I was in the right place at the right time. We still have miles to go, but um, I also feel that way about the LA Olympics. I was in the right place at the right time, and. You know, as they say in our sport, timing is everything. Um, So uh, it was somewhat serendipitous and somewhat, uh, you know, I think there was definitely a silver lining in in all of it. Yeah, I think listeners may not be aware that uh,
1: prior to the 84 LA Olympics, the longest event for women uh, at the Games was the 1500. Um, Now, what was what's the history between behind? Obviously, there's a big jump in distance between a 1500 and a marathon. So, what happened in those ensuing years uh, for them to add? You know, it was the 3000 and the marathon in the '84 Olympics. Is that right?
0: Yes, and then again, I think in '88 in Seoul, and then they switched over in Barcelona to. Comparable schedules on both the men's and women's side. So, yeah, I did a lot of of track racing um, uh, during college and and post collegiately. Uh, I I um, just kept challenging myself with longer and longer distances and trying to run those longer distances faster and faster, and that eventually led to the to the marathon. Um, I didn't set out from high school track saying I'm going to be a marathoner it was just an order of you know sequential experiences and and opportunities.
1: Yeah I I I think but to reference um you know the timing for for you it was pretty ideal that uh you know behind the scenes there was this my understanding is there was a, a lot of lobbying going on to get the IOC to include longer women's distance events um and the the timing was just coincided pretty perfectly with uh with when you decided to really focus on marathon as as a distance is is that fair to say
0: yes i didn't really know much about the marathon i usually ran a Boys and Girls Club Five-Miler in Portland on Patriots Day. And I'd heard about the Boston Marathon, but I didn't really know much about it, except that it was taking place at the same time we were running a, a, a five-mile in Portland. And um, so uh, when I experienced the Boston Marathon for the first time, it was brand new. I didn't know the course. I really didn't know how to marathon. You know, truth be told, I actually ran the marathon distance in Bermuda in January of, of 79, which was my first Boston that April. Uh, but uh, it was the day after 10K and a bunch of us started to, to run the marathon after the gun went off uh, behind the pack to, to run. 13 miles is a training run. And we got to the halfway point. And of course, Marshall said, if you want to get back to the finish line, you're going to have to wait for the SAG vehicle uh, because there are no cars allowed on the course while the marathon's being run. And we decided we'd get there faster if we ran. So I did complete the marathon distance uh, that January, but Boston was really my first real competitive marathon and again it was all new i didn't know where the heartbreak hills were Um, i wasn't the favorite patty Lyons catalano now dylan was the favorite and uh, i wound up passing her at the top of the hills not knowing when to expect the hills and some guy next to me said you just pass them and so you know i'm i'm not one to look at marathon courses or any race courses before i run because what i don't know won't hurt me (coughs) excuse
1: me you know it's it I, I think uh, that's definitely a good strategy for for some people. Uh, you know, we, we all know what works for us individually. Personally, I like information, so <laughs> I would wanna know where the big hills are. Um, now going, going into, so we'll, we'll fast forward a little bit. So 79, you do your first marathon. 81, the executive board for the IOC says that, okay, yes, we're going to have the marathon the very first Olympic women's marathon in uh, 84. So U.S. games, I think that's something that people overlook is that when, you have, when you're the host country, there's a lot of pressure. I, I know that the lead up to trials was a bit rocky with uh, a surgery, uh, what, 17 days before trials. Um, but then you show up to the Olympics, obviously you win. It's the first event for the women that's that long the most iconic um you know event i would say of of the olympic games historically um and how did how did your life change after that i mean i think you know you've covered the event itself the trials in in countless other interviews i'm curious uh how your life changed after you won olympic gold in the very first women's olympic marathon
0: well you know first i have to give credit to all the women who preceded me in sport and who lobbied um the ioc um they were the the true uh true competitors the true winners uh to get that legislation through and to get the marathon and and included and, and and charlotte Richardson, my friend, who I spoke about a bit earlier, was one of those women, along with Jacqueline Hansen and then Roberta Gibb, of course, after winning the first Boston Marathon as a woman, sort of unnoticed. And then, you know, Catherine Switzer came along the second year Bobby ran, even though Bobby beat her, um, Catherine was caught in that iconic photo with Jock Semple trying to get her off the course. And, you know, to Catherine's credit, she started the Avon Marathon series for Women, which built awareness for the fact that women could run marathon on every continent. And so it was, it was a real community of women. Nina Cusick uh, was, was certainly involved with that with the sit-in at the start of some of the marathons. And, and so, you know, I didn't win that first marathon alone. It was, it was due to the, to the pioneering efforts and the brave efforts of all the, the women who preceded me in sport. But um I think that um, I I again I was in the right place at the right time. They forged the way and I I followed in their footsteps. And I think just because of the opportunities that were all of a sudden availing themselves to girls and women in sport, um, and knowing that the first women's Olympic marathon was going to be um held on home soil, I I I had uh, somewhat of an advantage. I mean, I think in everybody's eyes, the, the winner was going to be the late, great Greta Whites. And obviously I was concerned about Greta because she had won, I think it was ultimately nine New York city marathons and uh, that is unprecedented and nobody will ever win that number of New York City marathons. Uh, but I was also very concerned with her teammate, Ingrid Christensen, who also came from a skiing background. They both did. Um, so uh, I just, as again, I, I appreciated and respected the p- woman in front of me and the woman who were running with me in that first Olympic marathon. And so when I took the lead at the beginning, uh, not wanting to do so, but wanting to run my own race, which is another sort of adage I've carried with me through my life, you have to run your own race, you can't run anybody else's race, and that's applicable to anything anybody does with their life, um, I just took off and nobody followed. And I um, i just kept waiting for them to come, but they never came. and. I was staring Bill Rogers in the face the whole time because he was doing the commentary and I couldn't talk to him because that would have been deemed as, as coaching aid. So I just sort of ran and ran and ran and, uh, then realized I had a chance to, to win the first women's Olympic marathon and Nike had put a big, uh, larger than life mural of me, uh, on a wall of a, Uh, apartment building uh, near the finish line in Watts and I had seen that mural the previous fall and when I had the knee injury uh, and had the arthroscopic surgery that mural was what kept me going I couldn't lose sight of the fact that the company like Nike had put that kind of faith in me and I didn't want to disappoint so ultimately that's what was was there for me to answer to so to speak and came into the tunnel and realized in the darkness that you know unless I fell flat on my face I was going to probably win the the first women's olympic marathon and then thought are you capable of of carrying a title that will come with winning this race and and uh I didn't really know but I didn't want to take any time thinking about it so I just kept going and said oh you'll figure it out somehow and thanks to family and friends they've kept me honest and and uh You know, the one thing I did say to them is that I want to give back to a sport and a community that have given so much to me. And that led to the founding of the TD Beach to Beacon 10K in my hometown of Cape Elizabeth, where we benefit a different children's charity every year. And it's transcended deep into the Cape Elizabeth community, the greater Portland community and the state of Maine community.
1: So Beach to Beacon is it started in 98. Is that correct?
2: Yes. next so
0: it's in 20- August. Uh, so we- Saturday, yeah. August. Um, this year, it's August 6th. It has fallen on August 5th in the past. And that was the day that I ran in L.A. Um, and next year will be our 25th anniversary because we did not count the COVID years.
1: Yeah. Now, how... How did you decide that this was going to be something you wanted to do? Because it's, it's not a small feat. Uh, anybody who's tried to organize a race knows that there's a lot that goes on. And you also go out of your way to invite a lot of world-class athletes from all over the planet to your event. Um, yeah. Wh- why was this important to you to host this race?
0: Well, it was a way of giving back and I had logged countless miles in Cape Elizabeth, growing up in high school and college and you know whenever I came home and I really thought and continue to think that those roads are some of the most beautiful roads in the world and how cool would it be to invite some of the best world runners in the world to to my hometown and fortunately um, the idea was embraced um, very early on in my thinking about this it wasn't it wasn't uh, embraced right off the bat because I uh, initially uh, was at a at a board meeting for the Gulf of Maine which was then the Gulf of Maine Aquarium and now the Gulf of Maine Research Institute and uh, one of the board members was the uh, CEO of Union mutual which became Union which became unum and they're a great sponsor of the beach to beacon today they sponsor the wheelchair uh, division and uh, I the the CEO excused himself early from the meeting and I followed on his footsteps and a- excused myself from the meeting after he did and then quickly asked him a question outside the boardroom. Um, I just said, can I have two minutes of your time or a minute and a half? And I, I said, I have this idea and explained what I just explained to you. Um, and back then the corporate logo for for Unum was a lighthouse beacon. And I said, I want to start a race. I want to call it the beach to beacon. And I think it'd be a great title sponsor. And he had been an all American at uh, Villanova. Mm-hmm. And he was, I think, on the record setting four by four relay team. And he paused for a nanosecond and said, that's a great idea, but it's not on my radar, our radar screen right now. So he passed. And then a couple of years later, I had the opportunity to meet the bank president of, of what was then people's heritage bank and now is td and as i was leaving the office uh, his office i saw a picture of him finishing the new york city marathon and turned on my heels and said i didn't realize you were a marathoner he said oh yeah i've run six new york city marathons and or something like that and maybe it was five and uh, i said well i have an idea i'd love to share with you at some point he said well there's no time like the present and i said well i want to start a race and told them what I'd told the other CEO. And he said, let's do it. Didn't even blink. He said, awesome. Let's do it. And that really was the impetus and the start of the, uh, TD beach to be 10 K. And then, um, of course, hiring Dave McGillivray was a good move.
1: Yeah. It's, I, I haven't competed myself, but I have watched it. And it's, it's an incredible event. Um, you definitely get the sense that the, the community is really proud to host it. Um, so, well, I know it's, it's a labor of love, um, not just, not just for the sport of running, but for the community. And it, it really shows.
0: Maybe we'll get two trues and maybe three in our 25th anniversary year. Oh, three. Yes. Now you're,
1: you're a fairly recent grandmother yourself, right? Yes.
0: How, how old is Lottie now? 14 months and she's running. We were in a strawberry patch today and, uh. I, I'm one of those parents who will try to practice what I preach about not pushing kids into sports, let them find their own way, but she's already, she's already running and she does not sit still very often. So I'm a little concerned, but she could probably go the distance. I love it. I love <laughs> probably, it. Probably a hundred yards. So I figure, well, I, 10 yards for every month maybe uh, that'll be her parents decision i'm staying out of it no
1: you're you're just there to support and teach her you <laughs> know how to grow things in the garden and spoil her a little bit um no yes. Ab- abby abby your daughter was a college athlete at bates right uh she was yeah. a, a skier
0: skier and cross-country runner no did you did you notice
1: a large uh change in culture sport and culture between when you were a student athlete and uh, Abby's experience
0: i think just the support given to the to the women's teams over the years certainly increased and obviously Abby had more choices as a student athlete when it came to the sport she wanted to pursue um but yeah i mean it's it's improved every year as i said earlier there's still some you know improvements to be made but the fact that in track and field in the olympics um in world champs the schedules are the same i mean that's a huge step and that wasn't when i first started out even though title IX legislation had passed so slowly we're 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 making these um, increases and now with the parity between the soccer teams men's and women's and and uh, the fact that um, people are realizing we can't put youngsters in in sport and put them on the world stage and expect them to um, perform with the recent uh, ruling for ice skating I mean I think these are all good and positive positive changes and as I said we're still making those changes and we're still um, making inroads and, and uh, we're, we're getting there.
1: Yeah. So hopefully by the time that uh, Lottie's in college, then, and
0: if, if she's going to be an athlete, we're not going to put that pressure on her. You know, I think the best thing you can do for young children is to expose them to a variety of disciplines and let them find their passions in their own paths. Yeah, no, I I
1: think, I think that's, that's true, but, there's there's nothing wrong with um learning skills through sport that translate to other things. Uh it's it sounds like your description based on what you learned from your father, for example, about through through skiing, it obviously translates to to other areas of
0: life. There's certainly endurance when the the going gets rough, I think. You know, just the desire to persevere and to, you know practice patience i always talk about the four p's passion patience persistence and perseverance and 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 purpose too um you know there has to be a purpose to everyone's mission in life i think yeah so what's what's your purpose i had still trying running around in circles trying to figure that out i think just to to live your life fully and 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 to um, take take the time to um share your joie de vie or your passion with with others and and encourage them to find their passion and it doesn't have to be in sport but if it is i mean to me one of the most rewarding moments of being the founder of the beach to beacon is the fact that we pull people off the sidelines who are inspired by what they see the runners doing in front of them and they say or ask themselves the question you know could i do that and then they challenge themselves. And then before they know it, they're on a starting line and they're taking care of their health and wellness by being active. And um, so anything I can do uh, to inspire others, um, whether it's just living a full life and being involved in the community or whether it's still trying to run run in races and set age group record, whatever, um, you know, if you can bring people along, I think that's a purpose and also a reward for others. Yeah, no,
1: the, the four Ps are being manifest in a future project that uh, Joni and her, her family are working on. And I think uh, it's going to make a lot of a big difference to a lot of people. But in the meantime, um I know that you are living out your purpose. And a lot of people are going to enjoy this podcast. So thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with everybody. Well, thank you, Sarah. And when do I get to interview you for your story? Oh, never. No, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll come down the road and take some
0: of that rhubarb, okay. uh, you know, make, make a nice pie. <laughs> well, and I wish you all the best this weekend, obviously.
2: Active women need more protein, and if you're training hard, you need a lot more, like upwards of 100 grams a day, or even more. That can be a challenge to get through meals alone some days, so a good protein powder like NeuroFi Plus from Prevenix can help. NeuroFi Plus is a vegan-friendly protein powder that is low in sugar, high in essential branched chain amino acids, and contains probiotics and digestive enzymes, so it's easy to digest and doesn't cause the gassy feeling you can get with other protein powders. Norify Plus is laboratory tested and contains no soy, gluten, dairy, preservatives, or artificial sweeteners. Listeners of this series can get 15% off their first time purchase by using the code TITLE9, that's all caps and the number nine at checkout. Just go to Prevenex.com, P-R-E-B-I-N-E-X.com and use the code TITLE9 at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. If you don't like it, The company offers a 100% money-back guarantee on all of their products within 30 days, no questions asked. Again, use the code TITLE9 at checkout for 15% off your first-time purchase at Prevenex.com. Female hair loss is a topic few of us want to talk about, but it impacts nearly 30 million women, so we should. And that's why we appreciate that Bonafide's Healthy Hair and Scalp product, Sylvesa, is one of our show partners. With Sylvesa, Bonafide designed the first comprehensive system designed to restore and protect hair and skin affected by estrogen decline from the inside and out. It consists of a three-part system containing a daily capsule, hair serum, and skin serum to be combined for healthier-looking skin and hair. During a 12-week clinical study, Bonafide found that 92% of women saw improvement in hair volume, 82% saw improvement in hair thickness, and 67% saw improvement in scalp coverage. Over 8,300 uncompensated doctors in the US recommend Bonafide's products. All of their products are prescription and hormone free. And for listeners today, we want to give you 20% off your first purchase of Sylvessa and or any of Bonafide's products when you subscribe to any product. Just go to hellobonafide.com slash title nine and use the promo code title nine. That's hellobonafide, B-O-N-A-F-I-D-E.com slash title nine, and the code title nine, all caps, T-I-T-L-E, and the number nine for 20% off at checkout. For the best prices and free shipping, Go directly to the hellobonify.com/title9 website. That is their best offer anywhere, so check it out and use the promo code title9 today.
3: Wow, Celine, what a great interview for our final episode.
2: Yeah, it's um, it's been so so interesting. I mean, this was such a great way to end it because you know she references the women who came before her, you know, and throughout the the series, we've had women do that, reference their moms or, you know, in the case of Patsy and Wendy Mink. And, um, you know, it's just so interesting to listen to them, give homage to the shoulders that they're standing on and then continue to do the work quietly and press on. And I think that that has been the goal of this entire series, you know, it's just like illuminating these women that have come before us, And have done this work so you can appreciate where we came from and look at someone like an Amanda Levy and see, like, oh, but we still need to keep going because there's the work is not done. You know, the work needs to yet be done. I mean, the Women's Tour de France kicked off today as we're recording. It'll be over by the time people hear this, but it's amazing. The racing has been amazing. But it's still like that took so many years to get that back on. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there was still the concessions of like, well, they will be shorter and there'll be eight days. And maybe that's better. You know, I'm not saying that, but it, there's still these, well, women really don't do the same thing, right? That's still in the background. And it's yeah. still that. And we still like, so this is all just sort of really um, illuminated for me how, how important it is to, to pick up the torches and keep going forward with them
3: yeah absolutely it's the people who you know who kind of can see what's happening for what it is so Mm. your example of the tour de france is a great one because it's like we watch every every year in in the summer we watch three weeks of men's cycling we take it for granted this is what we grew up with this is how it is you know and there are a lot of people who just accept that for how that for what that is so then there are some people who notice wait a second why don't, why don't women do this? Right. And then there are some people, those very few people like the Patsy Mix of the world who say, how do I change that? Right. Right. And those are the people that like, those are many of the women that we interviewed, you know, and that's that, as you say, that was part of the reason that we wanted to put together this series i i am so grateful for those women who saw those things because it allowed opportunities for us in sport Um, and we wanted to tell their stories you know Um, yeah so
2: yeah i don't know that i it's it's given me that it certainly has left me with that perspective because i i don't spend a lot of time looking backwards you know i Mm -hmm. i do spend a lot of time looking forward and uh in the here and now, even I spent a lot of time just digging into like what needs to happen now to make, you know, things better X, Y, and Z, but just listening to some of the, the clear-eyed vision that yeah. some of these women have, you know, has been, has made an impression.
3: Absolutely. It really made, helped me feel not so alone, mm. if that makes sense. So, mm. you know, I was someone who like, as a child observed that there were things that I was like not going to not be able to do in the world. I don't think I ever felt like I couldn't do things, but that I could see that the path to certain places was going to be harder for me if I wanted it, you know, like I could see that I was very unlikely to become the prime minister of Canada, for example. <laughs> and I know I knew that when I was in third grade, right? We yeah. still haven't had a female prime minister. Um, So like, those are the kinds of things I observed. And then to, to hear these stories and, and I have had, I have, you know, made significant bids to to make change in my lifetime, but to have these stories of women who really just, who really just dug in and went for it and did, it's so inspiring to me, right? Like Patsy Mink, who who actually ran for president, (laughs) right? Um, Or Bobby, who, like, it would not have occurred to me to get on a bus for three days, hide in the bushes... And run a marathon, and this, this is like if you think of how radical that thinking is, it that has that piece has just been so inspiring for me.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I hope you know the, that people listening to this are inspired, you know, mm-hmm. to to do their own radical, you know, whatever that looks like for you, right? I mean, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be that extreme, but if we all just take one little radical step, you know, it makes yeah. a big difference.
3: Yeah, or supporting what other people are doing mm-hmm. too, right? Like you know, and you brought up the, the Women's Tour de France, and that's, you know, it's 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 happening now, so it's the top of mind for me. But even just like watching it, like watch yep. women's sports. That helps. Yeah. You know, we don't all have to um hide in bushes and run marathons. <laughs> you know, we can we can just support in those little ways and all of that stuff will will make a big difference.
2: Excellent. Well. I think we are, and uh, I look forward to doing more of these. Nine Voices for Title IX, powered by Inside Tracker, is a Feisty Media Production.
3: This episode was produced and edited by the amazing Amelia Perry.